Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And on this week's Clash Podders in control in the red corner. First up, we're about to find out that every dream has a price, both literally and figuratively, as Charlie Sheen gets a lesson in Mo Money versus Mo Morality from Michael Douglas, while interior designer Daryl Hannah single-handedly reduces the property value of his home. From 1987, it's Oliver Stone's Wall Street. From the director of Platoon, the next battle is in the greatest jungle of them all, Wall Street. We're going down a drain, okay? The stock is plummeting. When it hits 18, buy it all. Something big is going down. I want you to fill out the missing picture. Mr. Gecko, that's not exactly what I do. Where you can trade your honor. I can can lose my license. That's inside information. For power. If you're not inside, you are outside. I want you with me, buddy. I'm with you, Gordon. Trade your peace of mind. Just the beginning, pal. If any trouble does arise, you are on your own. The trail does stop with you. For a piece of the action. A hundred million dollars, buddy. All it takes is a little inside information. I don't care where or how you get it. I think you owe me. And you can trade everything you believe in. He's using you, kid. But you're too blind to see it. For everything you've ever wanted. I get a strange call from the SEC. This is heavy, bud. Why do you need to wreck this company? Because it's wreckable, all right? Michael Douglas, Charlie Sheen, Daryl Hannah, Martin Sheen, and Oliver Stone film Wall Street. While in the blue corner, it's Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese's fifth joint together as they give us a crash course in how more is never enough as they chart the rise and fall of real-life stockbroker turned felon turned motivational speaker, thus proving that most motivational speakers are in fact crooks. From 2013, it's The Wolf of Wall Street. My name is Jordan Belfort. The year I turned 26, I made $49 million, which really pissed me off because it was three shy of a million a week. We're making a name for ourselves. Nobody knows 
if the stock is gonna go up, down, sideways, or in circles. You know what a fugazi is? Oh, fugazi, it's a uh, fake. Yeah, fugazi, fugazi, it's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. Was all this legal? Absolutely not. We were making more money than we knew what to do with. Well, it don't work for you, man. Yeah, my money tape here, Goose. Technically, you do work for me. What's wrong, Daddy? Oh, my God. FBI, any kind of booze you might want. No, the Bureau forbids us from drinking. So what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Lunch is for wimps. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Thought I'd use Wall Street's most famous quote to open the show. Greed yeah. is good. No. <laughs> Lunch is for wimps. That's the one that often makes every top 50 greatest mm. quotes in the history of Cinema List. Greed is good. Lunch is for wimps. Lunch is for wimps. See, and we're back. We had such a nice weekend together and now we're disagreeing already. <laughs> One thing we can agree on, though, right, is we're the red and blue army. That's the we're third time you've sung that today. I can't get it out of my head. It is catchy. Mm, it is. It is. Chris and I went to football. I know you did. Jealous. <laughs> I don't think I would have been allowed in. That photograph you sent me looked very much like ladies stay at the door. Kind of thing. Were there any women there? Yeah. No, Eric, no. Eric had his daughter there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And behind the bar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the service industry roles, 100%. <laughs> and you got a mention on the Football Ramble as well. And I was on the BBC. You were. I was. What, in the crowd? Yes. Really? Mm. They picked you out? Well, it's difficult to see, but Chris... Because you didn't have a clue what was going on. They're like, look at this fucking idiot. <laughs> He's like, kick it higher. Actually, we're like, that guy must be a diehard fan on his feet singing, we're the red and <laughs> you blue know, you're army. you is that what's on the BBC of you? No. No, I'm just oh, I'm right. just wearing a very stupid hat that you could see in the crowd. <laughs> and your jacket stood out a little bit as well. It's an orange jacket. Yeah, an orange jacket. Out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Eagles. Uh, eagles. Yeah. Yo, eagles. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, yeah. But that's nice. Yeah. You don't just say eagles. You're saying eagles. Great. I'm thinking we should do more football chat on this podcast now. I'm a fan. Um, <laughs> now I've been. <laughs> we should like every sort of fifth show should be a clash of the titles, but a title match in the world of football. And we, well, we haven't done When Saturday Comes, the Sean Bean joint. We <laughs> haven't done Shaolin Soccer. There's a lot of footy films we, can, we can do. There's a few. There's a few. <laughs> we could do Fever Pitch, the UK version. Yep. Against yeah. the American one. Oh, actually, that's not a bad idea. Anyway, come on. All right, cool. And uh, just just for parity, uh, Victoria, you went up north at the weekend <laughs> and you wore a faux leather number. I did. How was that? Uh, I was the talk of the room <laughs> in an entirely negative way. <laughs> Where did you go? I, I went to a working men's club in Accrington. Okay. Yeah, fact. And? The dance floor was empty, then me and my sister arrived and it wasn't empty anymore. <laughs> 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 and we're all caught up. <laughs> right then, it's time to continue this month of our listener suggestions, a.k.a. Clash Butters in Control, a.k.a. Febru Fanny. This is now definitely your last chance. If you have a suggestion for a pairing, this is your final chance to get it in. Email us, show at clashpod.com and give us a reason for why you want a particular pairing on the show, what connects them and just what those films are. Am I right, Chris? Yes. 
I forgot to do this this week. Oh, it's but... right. Just, what about? Oh, it's um, Jonathan in Budapest. Mm. No, we've got actually no, we've it, more, more than one Sarah person in Madrid. <laughs> this more one. than one person suggested this. So we've got Chris Bauman has suggested it. Uh, December fifth, twenty twenty. He suggested mm. it. So this was from the year before last. Right. Uh, he's done a long a lot of reasons here, but I mean. Wall Street's the reason. Uh, he suggested boiler room as well for a potential three-way. Mm. Uh, and then, yes, uh, Billy. Billy suggested Wall Street versus Wolf of Wall Street. No reason. Okay. So Billy and Chris then. Yes. Thanks very much, Billy and Chris. <laughs> Bi- Billy and Chris. You were given your own section then yeah. and you've messed it up. I think we just had a lot of fun. But did you, did, did, <laughs> did you see how no one pulled you up on it? We just we just let you run with that. No one was like, um, Chris, you have one job. <laughs> So I'm just saying. Oh yeah, easy. Yeah, just saying. That's a that's a nice way of dealing with someone screwing up. Right then, the clue you gave last week was. Um, I thought of a better one afterwards. <laughs> do you want to do that one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Similar but better. Right. Uh, next uh, next week we're dealing in stocks and blondes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Works. It's very good. <laughs> stocks and bonds is what it would normally. Right. Be. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I yep. didn't see that. that. Actually good, yeah. Thanks. That's actually good. Probably better if you read it. I don't know. And you followed it up on Twitter with a picture of some money. Yeah, fine. Because <laughs> thought... you didn't do one in the pub because you rushed off, and I was like, sod this. Everyone's going to get it from the first clue, so I'll just do a picture of money. Oh, I thought it was because the money was going down as well. It was suggesting a fall. Yeah, that's someone. that works. No, <laughs> <laughs> can't have that. I'm having that. All right, so we're on Twitter at ClashPod, Instagram at ClashPod, and the guesses were shouted across the trading room floor. Congrats to Brad, Peter White, I am Grout, Russ, and Arden. But our winner this week with the first correct guess is Russell. Well done, Russell. Your prize is a helpful gambling tip from us. The helpful gambling tip is this. Do you ever play roulette, Russell? On occasion. Well, let me give you a little tip. Always bet on black. I was watching Passenger 57 at the weekend, and that's why I did that. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, probably edit that, right? Mm, No, just get on with it. (laughs) Okay, the connection section, what you got? Uh, Just water for me, please. Because in both the films, the hero, Bud, and then in Wolf of Wall Street, when Jordan, before they are who they are, they go to a restaurant with a big deal and they just have water. Ah. Because they're so clean cut. Right, right, right. (laughs) Uh, Wearing a wire. Yeah. In the climax. Moment. Stocks and blondes. Stocks and blondes. See a blonde, <laughs> fall instantly in love with it. Also, she's great at interior design. They mm. both do interior design. Okay. Did uh, you clock uh, the line that was in both films? Yeah. Uh, there's no nobility in poverty. Correct. Mm. Good, connection. good connection. Um that's can... good actually. Sorry, that is good. I've got that in my notes, but I didn't know it was in mm. Wolf of Wall Street as well. Um, yeah. Wall Street as well. Uh Canary Diamonds. So Darian is on when Darian's on the beach in Wall Street. She says, "Bud's like, what do you want?" She's like, "I want everything. I want a canary diamond." <laughs> um, when Jordan proposes to Naomi, he gives her a canary diamond. What's a canary diamond? It's a yellow diamond. Ah, yeah, okay. they're very rare. Fine. Uh, Cocaine. Um, mm-hmm. Gordon Gecko. Mm. Yes, because he gets mentioned yep. in the Wolf of Wall Street. But they, they he, uh, I think someone says they think you're fucking Gordon Gecko. Mm. Any more for any more? No. Uh, last one I've got is uh, dads trying to be the moral compass for their sons. Yeah. Yes, sort of. Yeah. He, he tries. He, he does. <laughs> he, he, he's no Carl Fox, but he does give it a shot. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. So on Thursday, V is thrilled that while the wolf of Wall Street is clearly not a great guy, at least he's not an actual wolf, which means today I'm following Machine on his journey of wealth discovery. 
Wealth discovery, far self-discovery. Let me take you on a journey. Remember when Charlie Sheen was mainly known for his acting? So does 1987, as he plays Bud Fox, a young guy from a blue-collar family who dreams of making a fortune on Wall Street. That dream becomes a reality when he meets one of cinema's greatest villains, TM, in Gordon Gecko. And after some shady dealings, blue-collar Bud is living the high life, which apparently involves having pasta and sushi in the same meal while microwaving Hagen Das and allowing Daryl Hannah to decorate your apartment like you've been trapped in the physical manifestation of a fever dream, but it's not long before Bud's conscience arrives to release him from his turquoise and gold leaf nightmare. And Bud asks the question, who am I? <laughs> Literally, he looks over New York skyline and says, who am I? In the end, it turns out Bud ain't bad, thanks to Dad, and he defeats Gecko before walking up the stairs into the courtroom and that's it, it's over. Ladies and gentlemen, Wall Street. <laughs> so, histories with this movie. Uh, I'll start so I'll keep it brief this week. <laughs> keep it brief. First watch, uh, I have actually seen the Shia LaBeouf sequel, Wolf of Wall Street. What? Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. Why the hell would you watch that and not this? He likes for stuff, for work he? as well. Oh, yeah. For work. I had All to right. do it. I had to good do answer. it for work. Yep. Good answer. I didn't choose to watch it, but I watched uh, Money Never Sleeps, um, which I, I really think they uh, missed a trick by not calling it Wall Street 2, The Search for More Money. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It's like Spaceballs. Mm. Uh, they also missed a trick by not making it good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched the press conference about it and no one looked happy. You know mm. when you can w- look at a panel and everyone's like, oh, mm. fucking hell, what do we have to answer here? Uh, so, yeah, I don't know why I never saw it. Uh, probably because it was the 80s and it didn't have space monsters or explosions in, so it wasn't on my checklist of things I needed to see. V. Uh, not sort of similar but not quite similar so I watched The Wolf of Wall Street had never watched Wall Street so then did it out of like homework to sort of understand oh better so what... not on this occasion on a no. previous yeah. so is... you clashed these movies once already <laughs> I did yeah right did you yeah. watch privately did just you... for my own enjoyment did you watch Wall Street before Wolf of Wall Street no I watched Wolf of Wall Street first okay so I've known all about Gordon Gecko for feels like my entire life but I had no mm. idea what he actually did on screen sure I mean, yeah, it transcended yeah. movies, didn't it, that character? Yeah. You probably knew about him from Only Fools and Horses as well. That was a big part Why? Of... why? This isn't the first time you've used Only Fools and Horses mm. as well, a reference point. because we watched it all the time. What? 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 Because uh, Dale decided he was Gordon oh, Gecko, yeah, he would yeah. say breakfast is for wimps and he had his phone and his yeah, Filofax right, and yeah. yeah, he became a yuppie. Oh. What's your story, Chris? Um... So did you guys live near a big video store when you were kids or did you have a crappy little one? We had a little one. Yeah. I had a big one. Okay. I had a little one. So the choice, there wasn't a huge amount of choice. And so you just had to go with what was there. And when the new film came out, there would be extra copies of it. So that's the reason why I think when I was 10 years old, I watched Wall Street, Mm. which is just too young. Did you get it? Were you bored? I found bits of it boring and bits of it, more of it incomprehensible. Mm. but I was a Michael Douglas fan because of Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile, Mm. and he looked like he was having a great time. So when he was on screen, I was having a good time, and so it was fine. And then I did come back to it sort of 10 years later and thoroughly enjoyed it and understood a little bit more. So yeah, I watched it as, a, as it's just there's so many of those films in the 80s that I watched when I was too young because that was all that was available at the video store. Probably like Platoon by the same director in the same year. Oh, I feel bad for you not having a big video store. There was um there was a huge independent before Blockbuster video store called Titles on Easterly Road in Leeds and it had fucking everything. Like movies that weren't mainstream movies on mm. on the shelves and I or I rented one 
I was my mum was going out somewhere, so I was staying at one of her friends' houses, and I, I said, I want this movie. She took me to tiles. I said, I want this movie. It was called Devouring Waves, and it looked like it was going to be Jaws. There was a, a I was ten years old. A, a lot of sex in it. <laughs> Devouring waves. Yeah. It's a Spanish monster. I think it's, is it German? It might be German. It's a European monster movie. Mm. And it's, uh, there's a lot of, but really sort of nasty boobs as well. Like a woman answers the door in this tiny little like slip. And then it's a hitman at the door and he proceeds to strangle her in the bath. And she's naked and it's pretty grim. Okay. Anyway. I sat with my mum's friend in silence, both of us knowing that neither of us should be in this room Why watching this together. Why did she turn it off? Do you your mum give her a bollock if my son wants to watch no, I, Devouring Waves and he will? I think we both made a silent pact to never speak yeah. of this again. Okay. But, Until know. next week when we do Devouring Waves oh. on Clash of the Titles. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I do feel like we've been building up to this, though, because we've recently done Working Girl... We did cocktail at the live show, and we did Scarface, and it was, they've all got these themes of sex and power and money and greed. Mm-hmm. Working girl, did you mention that? Yes, that yep. was the first one I just Sorry, said. Sorry, yeah, I just yeah, I just said that. it. Sorry, yeah, I was thinking about devouring waves yeah, again. Weirdly enough, I was having a flashback. <laughs> I was back in that room, strangling in the boobs. Right then, want to know a bit about this film? Sure. Great. Uh, Oliver Stone's coming off the back of the success of the movie. Chris just mentioned Platoon. He initially, and I'm going to be brief on this because I know you don't like deviations too much, he initially wanted to make a movie about the 1950s quiz show scandals, which I went down a bit of a rabbit hole on because I don't think there's a movie about this. This stuff literally two weeks ago. I told yeah, you I like, want to do, do, do the quiz? movie. What is it? Quiz it's show. Quiz oh, show yeah. well then, there is a movie about <laughs> Robert this. Redford yeah. made it, starring Ray Fiennes. Fine, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's a great story. So the story is, I'll very, be very brief, because if we're doing it in a couple of weeks, I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> but it's the idea that the first quiz show they aired on NBC, they did it fairly, and it was a disaster because neither of the contestants knew enough to get anywhere in it. And the boss went, I never want to see that on the channel again. So the production team basically went, we're going to start getting, we're going to get contestants in on the ruse here and make them take a fall. And so they sort of went, we want this guy to win, so we'll pay you, Mm. but you start getting questions wrong, so he definitely wins. Create drama. It sounds mad. Great movie. Right, great. Well, we'll do that then, and I won't say any more about it. Uh, Anyway, he was talking through his idea for that show, uh, movie, with screenwriter Stanley Weiser, uh, who he'd work again with in 2008 on W. And then as they talked, they decided, actually, Oliver Stone wanted to make a movie about Wall Street. He'd been mulling the idea for a while, and he was inspired by his own experiences. I found out that Oliver Stone worked on the Paris cocoa and sugar exchange when he was 17 years old really Mm. Uh, and also his dad was on wall street in the 1930s a broker Uh, stone says of his dad though that he was more like martin sheen's character he was a guy who did things the right way back when wall street was a positive place about building companies and building america yeah his his dad lou stone he said it was an amalgamation of the martin sheen character and the hal holbrook character Mm. who is obviously bud's uh, moral compass within the office Mm, slash harbinger of doom. <laughs> I mean, Lou doesn't say much until the very end that's of a use. He just sort of goes, you're fucked, kid, in so many different ways, <laughs> which we'll go through. But it's interesting he chose to do this straight after Platoon because I heard him talking recently about Wall Street and he was comparing taking over a company to mm. combat, to war. He said it takes the killer instinct 
to go in and take over a company. And he said during the raids, when you talk to people who've been involved with these raids, you stay up for days and there's so much adrenaline involved that it just, he felt like he was telling a similar story to the one he told in Platoon. I think I watched that same interview, the one with the guy in the baseball hat with the headphones on. The one from last year. March this was a po- this was an audio podcast yeah, yeah. I heard. Oh, okay. so I don't know what anyone looked like okay. apart from one of them looked like Oliver Stone. <laughs> he's a great talker, though, Possibly. isn't he? He is. Yeah, he's uh, certainly confident in his own abilities. Really, because the one I watched, he said he wasn't a genius. It just came from experience, and he was quite humble. So I had the opposite. Humble. Mm. <laughs> I've never heard him called humble. <laughs> I thought well, because I remember back in you know when you watch interviews in the eighties, he's a bit of a fucking difficult interview. Yeah. Uh, but now I thought, oh, maybe sort of he's lightened up in his. Uh, his... I don't think he. Has. I think he's a very, very angry man. <laughs> Fair enough. Right then, uh, so he said of his dad that he'd have been shocked that a character like Gordon Gecko could ever exist in the world of Wall Street, uh, which I think links into like what he talks about this movie. He says this movie isn't a critique of capitalism. It's a critique specifically of that fast buck mentality of mm. the 80s. Yeah. And he indeed, the that, good that guys time, in it yeah. are also, oh, they're also capitalists. There's just good capitalists and bad capitalists. Yeah, he said that it's because in the 80s, your net worth became your self-worth. Yeah. And that's where he felt like things were going wrong because also it was the first time young people were making big bucks. Previously, you would work your way up within a company and start earning lots of money, even on Wall Street. But suddenly in the 80s, these young uh, men and women on cocaine were making a shit ton of money <laughs> and, it, and it, everything got out of whack. The, the markets got out of whack and the people got out of whack because they were on the drugs. Mm. And so it was all a big mess. Yeah, which is like, he encapsulates in that one line that uh, Carl says to Gordon where he's like, I've never judged a man by the size of his wallet or something like that. Yeah. So they come up with a story and write a script initially called Greed. And uh, he said initially no one wanted to make the movie because uh, I think they thought the entire audience for the 80s was people like me who didn't want to watch a movie about business. Uh, but in the end, he got together with Edward Pressman and they take it to Fox who greenlight it. Casting-wise, ooh, Tom Cruise was looked at for Bud Fox, which I can 100% see working. Yes, please. He was he was desperate for the role. That's mm. one of the, 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 the few times that he lobbied for a role. But obviously, um, Stone had just made Platoon with Sheen and also I think as he as he put it like and has come to light there's a darkness to Charlie Sheen that maybe isn't so much in Tom Cruise on screen yeah and so and that's what he brings out here yeah I guess so although you know I mean Magnolia was still a few years off but mm. he can do dark when he wants to but yeah I guess at that point it might have been a difficult sell but was probably the reason Cruise wanted to do it show the dark side yeah and, and I mean Charlie Sheen was I guess Cruise had done Top Gun but Charlie Sheen had done Platoon so he they were both exploding at the time and he said he wanted someone who was on that rocket ship in real life mm. to to portray a character who's on that rocket ship in the movie and he's very good at this I, I don't know if Cruise would have been any better I think Sheen was Sheen is perfect for this role yeah 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 well we'll talk about it as we go through he's got some fantastic moments in this but he's also got some moments where you go no 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 um uh, Oliver Stone also said that uh, he, he liked Charlie Sheen for the role because he liked the stiffness of Sheen's acting style and used it to convey Bud's naivete. Uh, Matthew Medine, uh, Modine apparently was um, approached and turned it down, but I don't quite follow that because I think I think he promised this to Sheen from the start. 
Anyway, um, <laughs> looking back on the movie last year in the interview I watched, uh, Stone says about casting Sheen, which you just mentioned with his dark side, Charlie was a very talented young actor, but he went his own way. He was into girls and money. Uh, I thought you'd like this, V. I know you've got a section on the show called uh, Crompton's Name Game. <laughs> it's not called Crompton's Name Game. I've called it Crompton's Name Game. I've <laughs> introduced it. A unilateral decision again. I like it, though. we got Tilly Trivia over there. Yeah, Crompton's, Crompton's Name Game. off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a work in progress. We'll come up with the title. I mean, it took us a while to get to February, Fanny. So... <laughs> Go on, go on, I'm listening anyway. Bud Fox. Yes. Names that represent the character they play. Yeah. So you've got Gordon Gecko. Yeah. Gordon Gecko, obviously, he's cold, he's reptilian. Yeah. It fits a lizard. <laughs> he eats moths and mosquitoes. <laughs> and Bud Fox uh, shows Daryl Hannah his bushy tail. So he's like a fox. No, Bud Fox, because he's cunning at the end. He's cunning, sly, mm. sleek. Yep. All of that. <laughs> foxes sleep. Well, this is the thing. Foxes, I think, when you're growing up and you read about foxes, before I moved to London, I was like, they are all of those things. And then you come to London and it's eating chicken out of a bin. And you're like, you want this. Manky fox. So I think there's urban foxes which are not sleek in any way. And then there's yeah. a perfect, big, lovely countryside fox which is sleek and fast and quick and all the rest of it. But an urban fox, no, they are going to mug me every time. I, they just stand at the end of my path. Smoking. <laughs> and Charlie Sheen should be out in a minute. <laughs> Charlie Sheen makes the noises a fox makes when they're rutting. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> That's not even it. No, so we all problems. know it's the worst thing. Mm. It's the worst sound on earth. Yeah. Really? I love, they do it at the bottom of my garden. I love it. No. no they scream. They mm. scream like babies. Mm. Simon hates it. He goes mm. charging down to the bottom of the garden, banding over. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Let Good. him at it. Well done, Simon. So you and Simon can agree on something. <laughs> Your dislike for urban foxes. <laughs> so for Gecko, the studio wanted Warren Beatty. He said, nope. For Gecko, Oliver Stone wanted Richard Gere, he said. Nope. So Stone eventually settled on Michael Douglas, despite reservations, uh, which he says, I was warned by everyone in Hollywood that Michael couldn't act and that he was a producer more than an actor and would spend all the time in his trailer on his phone. On his massive phone. (laughs) On his phone, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But then Stone found out when he's acting, he gives it his all. Although I've got a great uh, little bit... um, Later on, when we're going through it, about uh, Michael Douglas's opinion on Oliver Stone's directing style. They are friends, and obviously they work together again, and he kind of liked it, but... Well, yeah, he's a bully and a wind-up merchant on set, Oliver Stone. Mm. And, it's you know, he, he likes to make people cry and push people's buttons and get people angry, and it's... I don't know. I don't think it would fly in this day and age. And he pushed Michael a bit too far. But um, in terms of Douglas himself, uh, we talked about this on a previous episode. Like, the reason he works in these roles is he can make reprehensible characters likeable and even you know we, we talked about on the Fatal Attraction episode sympathetic he shouldn't be sympathetic the character in Fatal Attraction he's an yeah. arsehole but mm-hmm. Douglas has this in him he's got the darkness but he's got a way of making you like it and so yeah I, it wouldn't have been the obvious person to cast in this role the bloke from Romancing the Stone no. Who, who produced Cuckoo's Nest. He wouldn't have been the guy, but it's so obvious. Now you can't imagine it. I can see Richard Gere doing it. Mm. Oh, and Warren Beatty, but you can't imagine them being as good as Douglas was. But I think you can imagine the Douglas off screen being perfect for this role because of this. the fact he is a producer, so he's in those meetings, he's wheeling and dealing in Hollywood, getting stuff made. And so just because on screen he's never played a role like this, I think if you knew him slightly off screen, you go, yeah, I bet he could do that. Mm. So uh, the other end of the spectrum... 
Uh, you've got Daryl Hannah as Darian and Sean Young as Kate Gecko. Neither of whom had a very good time making no. this movie. I didn't know these stories. Chris said last week, are you going to have an interesting time looking up those stories? Mm. Uh, we'll start with Daryl Hannah. Uh, apparently, she did not like the materialistic character, Darian, that she played at all. Stone actually The, the says, role that she accepted. Mm, <laughs> as written. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's a weird one because... Uh, the film's called Greed. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a brilliant interior decorator. So how do you imagine you get on in this world? Stone says he's tried to explain the character to Hannah repeatedly and thought that the material, uh, but she thought uh, the materialism. Uh, no, he thought the materialism of the character conflicted with Hannah's idealism. He says he was aware very early on she wasn't right for the part. She wasn't happy doing the role. I should have let her go. All my crew wanted to get rid of her after one day of shooting, but my pride was such I kept saying. I'm going to make this work. Uh, turns out he didn't. Uh, he didn't. I've watched the film now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Hannah. She uh, looks She looks the part. <sighs> what does the... I don't know. I mean, well, no, it's I mean, tall, blonde, trophy girlfriend, yes, basically. Yep. Just shouldn't have let her speak, maybe. <laughs> I just... I don't even think she quite looks the part because she looks... Like her mannerisms are very Daryl Hannah, and the whole thing just she feels like like a hippie chick dressed up in mm. in sort of like eighties sort of like. Oh, I see that. Yep. Uh, just uh, Hannah in two thousand and five uh, said of uh, her experience on Wall Street, "I never saw it uh, because I kind of had a rough experience when I was making it, Oliver Stone, and I I'm actually okay with him now. But at the time, we had a kind of unhealthy relationship. He can be a bit misogynistic sometimes, and so I just decided I didn't want to relive the experience." So I haven't seen it, but at some point I'm sure I will. She won't. <laughs> um, and Sean Young, Jesus. So that was Daryl Hannah. Sean Young was a little more direct in an interview for the Daily Beast um, about Wall Street just last year. She said, uh, working with Stone, he's a bastard. <laughs> uh, she said, Charlie Sheen was awful. And apparently he stuck a piece of tape to her back with the word C-U-N-T written on it. Uh, she said, Douglas was wonderful. He took the tape off before Young could see it. And she said, what was that? And he said, just forget it. She spoke with Charlie the next day and said, your dad was a pro. You writing C-U-N-T on a piece of paper and sticking it to my back, not pro. It's just stupid. What are you doing? She then added in the interview, that's what Coke does to you. <laughs> Uh, I will say in the same interview, she also mentions Warren Beatty, Ridley Scott and Steven Spielberg for derailing her career. I think the expression is she goes all in. <laughs> yes, I mean, there's, yeah. She, wasn't there a subplot in Wall Street involving her and Bud Fox getting involved that they mm -hmm. ended up cutting because she was causing so much trouble on set? There is, yeah. And they even cut the scenes they she was in. They removed her lines and gave them to Daryl Hannah mm. because, as Oliver Stone says... Uh, he just couldn't deal with her. Uh, she wouldn't rehearse correctly, so we let her go. She tried to leave with some of the clothes from the movie, and we had a very tough producer who got the clothes back, and I heard she was in the streets of East Hampton, furious, walking around half-naked. Right. Oliver Stone's words. Um, but, yeah, she also was actively, throughout the movie, lobbying to be recast in Daryl Hannah's role. Right. On set. She was like, that's my role. I deserve that role. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've no doubt these blokes were horrible, like she said, but also she's got a history of being causing trouble on film sets. Mm -hmm. So I think this is just a bad combination we got here. So Michael Douglas wins an Oscar 
uh, for his role as Gorgon the Gecko. The movie doesn't make a massive amount at the box office, $43 million on a $60 million budget. Uh, but as Chris mentioned earlier, it kind of became a cult movie that defined the 80s and the culture of excess and greed, as well as um, being quite prophetic about what was going to happen in future. Uh, Stone says, although it wasn't his intention... It did influence a lot of people to work on Wall Street. Yes, I know people who are influenced hmm? to, to work in the city. Well, we're going to talk about an entire movie about a guy who followed Gordon Gecko's route into the city on Thursday. But yeah, I think both these movies aim to be morality tales and both of them are very much the opposite. They do advertise the money hmm. you can make in Wall Street. I guess it is dependent. I don't want to say too much because I guess it's dependent on the person watching them, but they are adverts for the wonderful world of wealth. I think the morality is more black and white in this one. I think, and we'll get to it on Thursday, I think it's much greyer on Thursday, the, the message that's coming through there. Mm. Yeah. Any more for any more? No. no. Great stuff. Uh, we'll go through the movie after this break. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So we open with the aspirational fly me to the moon because Bud wants the moon. Right. It's not subtle, but it works. Uh, it's dawn in the city that never sleeps, which is about to get a wake up call. <laughs> I've been thinking about that for weeks. It's so funny. <laughs> what were they thinking? It's just so brilliant that you would. I didn't even notice it. And it's right in front of it's me. It's in my DVD. I'll bring in the little bit of paper. <laughs> it's so perfect. Yeah. See, the Never Sleeps is about to get a wake-up call. We meet Bud. Oh, beautiful Charlie Sheen. He's so beautiful. I think he's too beautiful. It's one of my criticisms. Of, I, don't th I actually don't think he's great in this. I love him, but I, I, don't, I just don't think he's quite up to this. Especially when he's put Who against am I? His, when he's against his own dad. It's like, that's... You know, I don't know. But... I wanted him to look like someone that was half blue collar, half white collar, and he's just so perfect looking that he he just looks perfect on Wall Street. He doesn't ever look like he could work at Blue Star. So I don't know. He's he's gorgeous, but maybe a bit too gorgeous. He has ups and downs in his performance in this movie, but there is one moment, and thankfully it happens quite late on, which I'll mention, where I think he redeems himself so much that you forgive him for everything that went before. Um, Lots of hair gel. Lots of hair gel, but then sometimes not so much hair gel. It works both ways, but it's a little bit fluffy and falling forwards. Lovely. <laughs> I will say I had a massive crush on Charlie Sheen through the uh, late 80s and 90s as a, as a kid, a little boy crush on him. Yeah, I know you do. Mm. But you, oh no, who am I thinking of? There's someone that you did have a little crush on, but it's because you thought you looked like them. So it was more of a narcissistic thing than you realised. Don't know what you're talking about. Clint Howard? <laughs> what? Johnny Depp? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. <laughs> 
Like looking in a fucking mirror. <laughs> right, exactly. No, it's not. <laughs> and you thought and and you thought you looked like Keanu Reeves, I think, didn't you? <laughs> no. Yeah. I was dressed like him and yeah. someone someone someone, mis- someone close to you thought you looked me yeah. from the back. Yeah. They followed him well, into you, a car thinking yeah. it was me. <laughs> Told that story five times on here though, so <laughs> you did you thought it was you as well. I thought it was me. I was I was following me into a car. There you go, Alex. Looking great. And more athletic than it's it's surprising considering what you eat. So God's a junior stockbroker and we meet some of his colleagues. Uh, John C. McGinley. Always fucking brilliant. Yeah. Always uh, brilliant. Yeah, I did use this uh comparison a couple of weeks ago. But John C. McGinley's playing the physical manifestation of cocaine. <laughs> Isn't he? He's just so pumped up with every line. Yeah. Uh, we also um, <laughs> meet Hal Holbrook as the soothsayer of doom, mm-hmm. Lou. And he's already started. Get out while you're young, kid. And that's only the first of Lou's motivational insights into the world of finance. We get to see the New York Stock Exchange in action. Um, seen it so many times, countless films, Trading Places, Dark Knight Rises, movies about the stock exchange. <laughs> I still don't know what happens. I don't understand no. what's going on. I understand I feel the like stockbroking, mm. which is just cold calling. I get all of that. But the people in the jackets on the floor mm. screaming at each other. It looks like all the world's trade prices are kind of up to one man because he's going... <laughs> Strawberries, yes, fine, four dollars. And then someone calls Charlie Sheen and is like, "Strawberries, four dollars, whatever." I don't have a fucking clue. It's weird, isn't it? It's one of those things that you've seen so often in movies. You just go, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. So it's the stock exchange, and assume you know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. But when you dig a little deep, you're like, "I have fucking no yeah. idea." It makes me feel stupid. The most stupid I felt is after I watched The Big Short, and everyone said, yeah. "Oh, wasn't it great how it made it so simple to understand what happened?" <laughs> and I was thinking, "Was it? I don't. I still don't know yeah. what happened." They try really hard. <laughs> Film. <laughs> and I know you say like you get stockbroking. I do. But I still think, I think this film at the start here, there's an impenetrability about some of what's going on and what Bud's doing. Like the bit where he he's down 20 grand because of an investor and it's going to come out of his own pocket yeah. and his boss recommended the investor to him and the investor welched on his commitment. I'm yeah. like, it feels like a lot of information. And I don't mind it because I love learning from movies. Yeah. But... I sometimes wondered during the start of this whether I was missing the emotion I was supposed to be getting from a scene because I didn't quite understand what was going on. I I didn't feel that, though. I felt like a lot of it washed over me in this film, but I got the general point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Which is all that really matters, isn't it? I just think Wolf does a a much better job of sort of explaining it. Well, the Jack Nicholson film, Wolf. (laughs) Yes. I'm just trying to save time. (laughs) Come on. Um, but yeah, the Jack Nicholson movie where he pisses on James Snyder. <laughs> so in Matthew McConaughey's scene, uh, I think really helps sort of really explain it in a very black and white way. And I also think they make a joke out of it. The monologues that Leonardo DiCaprio does to camera, where he goes, of course you don't get this. You yeah. know, you I, don't I, have to. Yeah, You don't have to. Whereas this sort of assumes a little bit that you are getting what's going on. But... We've seen Bud struggle to get his big break into finance. Time to meet his blue-collar dad, Carl. Oh, Martin Sheen is fundamentally amazing. Yeah. Just one of the warmest actors I think I've ever watched. Yeah. He's fantastic. And that's why Spawn doesn't work, because he's just too nice. So that's, no, that's a lot of reasons why Spawn doesn't work. <laughs> uh, so Charlie Sheen was offered the decision of either having Jack Lemon or his own dad play his dad in this movie. A bit of a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> so, Charlie, who do you think would be more convincing as your dad? Your dad or another man? 
I actually wanted Jack Lemon, but I fuck it. Yeah, all right. My dad. My dad. <laughs> Jack Lemon's an exceptional actor. <laughs> yeah, he's playing my dad. Yeah, but I'm standing right here, son. <laughs> all right, yeah, fuck son. It. I literally had a heart attack on the set of Apocalypse. Now I know how to play this role. <laughs> so, uh, Carl is the union leader for the maintenance workers at Blue Star Airlines. Um, we're going to call him Dad Number One, and Gecko can be Dad Number Two. To vying for control of Bud's soul. Sure. Or you can just call him Gecko. Well, that's who you mean. <laughs> so uh, it's very quickly going to be established that uh, Carl is the voice of reason in this film. He's appalled by the greed and destructive nature of Wall Street. He's about building things, mm. actual things, mm. creating things. Which comes up in Wolf of Wall Street as well. It does. It does. Uh, anyway, he's in a blue collar bar having a beer. Uh, a Molson Light, uh, which is a Canadian beer, that has 3% alcohol, a.k.a. piss water. <laughs> but I've, I've noticed that in American movies, you see a lot of people drinking beers a lot and then functioning quite well. Yeah, driving uh, cars. It's driving okay. cars, going out, doing stuff. In the middle of the day, they'll have yeah. beers and then they'll just be doing the rest of the movie. Yeah. We don't really have the equivalent here. You no. ordered a beer that was, what, 12% the Give other day? <laughs> what are you talking about? I've Pe ordered a 10% though, yeah. I knew it was about yeah. that. All right, <laughs> not 12%, not 10 I don't know what people go to the pub at lunch a, a yeah, lot more in keep, England. Keep than going, that's yeah. No, people go back to the office a lot more than they do in America. Yeah, when, I, when I'm on a business meeting in America having lunch and if I order a glass of wine, everyone looks at you like you're insane. <laughs> but I think it's because we maybe have this higher tolerance for alcohol because we're not used to these light beers. But in America, it's a light beer. People do have light beers and sort of just carry on. We're slightly inebriated for the rest of the day if we have a boozy lunch. Yeah. It's never just one, Chris. No. That's, that's why they look at you like that. It's not like it's not like it's not because you're ordering one glass of wine, it's like he's not gonna stop. Doing that uh, thing that you, you always do. You're like, well, if I'm gonna order two, I might as well get the bottle. Yeah. Uh, just the bottle, actually. Yeah. Thank you. Just a glass one glass. Anyone no, one glass. <laughs> I don't need a glass. Keep, keep them coming every five minutes. <laughs> I wish I didn't find that moment so cool. Yes. I know. Can we do that? Can we do that after, after so, this? So jealous. <laughs> oh, it's nuts. Um so Bud, uh, Bud says, uh, one day you're going to be proud of me uh, to his dad, uh, which by the end comes true. His dad is proud of him. Possibly not in the way Bud thought at that moment. You're going to jail for fraud. It is funny. I mean, I know this is massively skipping ahead, but super quick. He's like, Dad, I'm going to jail. He's like, it's, it's the best thing that's ever yeah, happened no. to you. He's like, but Dad, I'm going to jail. Mm -hmm. I know, and I am so pleased it's, about it's that. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't yeah. feel like it because you're going to prison, <laughs> but it's honestly, it's brilliant yeah. news. Don't drop the soap. Not the time for jokes, <laughs> but thanks. Thanks for dropping. It's just been the last yeah. thing. This will be the making of you, really. <laughs> Me and your mother are going to go park the car. Well, it doesn't need two of you. Why doesn't one of you walk in with me? This is kind of a big day. Well, no, we'll both park the car. We'll, we'll catch you up. We might stop for a bite to eat, but, uh, you know, let us know how it goes. So let's meet Dad too, Gordon Gecko, a force of nature who manages to say things that no one else could without making your skin crawl. Like, it's amazing. Like, the fact that he can say things like, we're in the kill zone, pal. Lock and load. <laughs> and you don't go, Ugh. That's your favourite kind of person. I know, what I love it. Yeah, about? this is what I, I'm, I love it when they pull it off. Yeah. But it's, it's so good. What's in your mind, Kimusabi? 
<laughs> he does look a bit. I think it's brilliant that Gordon Gecko has been spoken about in Act One, mm. but never seen. Mm. We so nearly we, the... we hear him. Yeah, yeah, we nearly see him. The, the boardroom door shut, sort of like, like very much like the end of Godfather. And it's kind of like they're saying the filmmaker saying Bud's not ready to see him, and nor are you. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So when you walk into that office, your expectations are through the roof, and the office is incredible, and he's there, and it's all working for me. And even like the Kimasabi stuff, which like you say is really cringy. But then he gets out the blood pressure monitor, and he's like. Check out my blood pressure monitor. It's like, you look fucking ridiculous. Like, you look ridiculous. Why have you got to do that yourself? I thought it was part of a court order about his blood pressure. He looks really silly. It undercuts him for me. Yeah. I, I, one thing I did wonder, though, the first, you know, he knows that his computer tells him it's... You take your blood pressure regularly. By yourself? Why can't I just get the GP to do it? Because he's, he's a busy man. What would he do if... Surely his blood pressure is through the roof. You don't take his blood pressure... You put a blood pressure monitor and go, go to the hospital now! <laughs> it kind of does. It gives you numbers. Well, yeah, I, it, it does, but it's not sort of... It's not like you... It's not a countdown to death. It's not like <laughs> you will die in three minutes. Yeah. You know... But um, do do you think there's anything homoerotic in Bud's interest in Gordon? Because he's obviously lusting for something, and is it is it purely the money and the power, or is there something? This time watching it, I just felt like there was a bit more to it that mm. I didn't pick up on that. I did. I mean, I, I didn't. I couldn't tell if I thought it was there or if it's just because they played squash and they got very sweaty, and it's a very aggressive game mm. with a lot of near contact but not contact so the denial of the urge and all of that and then they're in a sauna but then that kind of I suppose that is where they would be so you know you can shoot that scene anywhere in the members club but they are naked together mm. actually I think for me it's the bit in the restaurant where he mm. orders for Bud mm. he orders him the steak tartare because he knows it's the best thing on the menu Yeah, but maybe. I also think it's very symbolic the steak tartare because that's bloody and it's kind of proved to me you've got the killer instinct yeah. eat, eat this bloody meat yeah, I don't know. Just just putting it out there. There's a nice rule of three in their first meeting, though, because he gives him two trading options, and Gecko shoots them down, and then he gives him the tip that his dad got. Again, I wasn't clear why Bud was so nervous because I don't know that much about trading. Why he was so nervous about giving Gordon the tip from his dad about the FDA and the FAA because mm, he knows it's insider yeah. trading. But he's allowed. Is he not allowed to do that? No. No. Oh. And he says quite clearly, if anyone, he says something to the effect, if anyone finds out that's my dad, that would be bad. Yeah, I mean, that's my, that's really the plot of the film. Right. That's why I didn't really understand <laughs> a lot about this movie. Because uh, it's later on in the restaurant, um, Gordon asks him if he put money on and he says, no, that would be illegal. That's true, yeah. So because Bud knows, Bud knows this before, he's saying, like, we know this before the plaintiffs know it. Yes. So, right. It's, it's, it was just the line in the restaurant made me think it was okay for Gordon to do it, but Bud doing it, that would be illegal. I didn't realise Gordon doing it was also illegal. But, yes. Okay. Well, right. it's because Gordon's doing it based on inside information From given Bud. to him by Bud, so they're both... Yeah. Right, 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 You'd right. be allowed to make the trade, but if anyone knew why you did it... Understood. I was... I, yeah, yeah, move on. That nullifies that point, because I thought he was like, oh, I don't want to do it, because if my dad's wrong, I'm going to look stupid in oh, front of no, Gordon. No, that's a nice beat, but that's Did not, you like that's his portable? Did you like his portable television? Such a good lesson, though, wasn't it? Because I love tech in films. Yeah, but you've got to be careful. You've got to be so careful. You're allowed to have tech in films, obviously, but you should be so careful not to go, this is the latest thing, because it very quickly won't be. And it looks, again, ridiculous. Yeah, we love tech in films. Mm. 
I think it's this is the film that has the first is it the first mobile telephone in it or cordless telephone one of the two anyway uh, there's also a great moment when they're cooking dinner later with the first ever sushi robot yeah <laughs> I actually got a bit excited about that because yeah. I've never seen one before I, 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 or since in film I don't think I've ever seen a sushi making robot they exist I'm sure they do spend a lot of time looking at sushi making robots so um, the tip works Gordon makes some money um, and he has steak tartare for Bud um, and then he gives Bud another present uh, called Lisa and no gift goes down better than a sex worker in a limo oi oi let's go don't stop at those traffic lights what I've never understood it um, doesn't Jordan Belfort get a blowjob in a car as well or is he? But he's he's driving. I've just never. Und- I understand being in a limo. Relax. Why the fuck not? Mm. When you're driving, I understand that you might die, but I just don't get it. It's so impractical. It's exciting. What? Because you might kill yourself mm. and the woman. What is what is better feeling than that? <laughs> <laughs> wow. You want to be careful with that because eventually there'll come a point where without it, it's just not going to happen. Oh my God, imagine. <laughs> we get in the car. Yeah, I was thinking we could. Yeah, no, listen, have you got the keys? No, I don't want to go anywhere. Do you, want to, do you want to come to the bedroom? Is there a car in there? <laughs> but, it, but it's snowing, Chris. Even better. Even better. The higher the risk. Yeah. Don't turn on the headlights. <laughs> <laughs> leave, the, leave the door open as we're doing 70. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Charlie Sheen uh, is great in this limo scene uh, because he, he didn't know that they were filming or it was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Oh, uh, so Bud is liking this lifestyle. Time for Gecko to demand what he really wants. Stop sending me information and start getting me some. Good line. Uh, it is a great line. Um, and so this is uh, this is Bud's final hurrah, I guess, for Save the Cat fans. This is the debate section. Is he going to go into this new world? And he is with the line, all right, Mr. Gecko, you got me. Cue one of cinema's best shit-eating grins I've ever. literally written down Douglas does the best shit-eating grin. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's so That's reptilian. So it's, it's, a great, it's a great Gordon Gecko moment. Mm. So uh, Bud is now uh, part of Gecko's world. Uh, cue the harbinger of doom, Lou, who goes, there are no <laughs> shortcuts. Um, he um, says you can't get a little bit pregnant. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Bud's following around Terrence Stamp and then he goes to a party where he meets Darian, played by Daryl Hannah, uh, who Gecko literally tells him straight up, a great spender of other people's money. Mm. Doesn't listen. She's not shy. Uh, you forgot the robot butler. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the robot Better butler. Better or worse than the Rocky Four robot? Worse. The Rocky Four robot <laughs> yes. is incredible. Unbeatable. Mm. So we get some uh, more fun and games here. Uh, Bud masquerading as a cleaning supervisor to get access to officers after closing time and discover useful information. I, I genuinely wasn't expecting this no. uh, when I press play. It's a bit, it turns into a bit of a caper, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's a bit Ocean's yeah. Eleven. And is that based in any reality? I'm mean, sure this stuff goes on. <clears throat> it just didn't feel very natural fit for him. No. Because he's too good looking. Because he's too good looking. Yeah. Mm, it's true. Uh, but Gecko's happy with Bud's intel and he lets him play in his beach buggies. Oh, yeah. That's a cute scene. It looks fun. Yeah. It looks fun. And it's one of those weird things because if you're sunbathing on a beach and there's idiots in those, you're like, fucking idiots driving those things. But 
if you're in the beach buggy, I'd be, I'd be fine with it. I wouldn't be yep. thinking about the sunbathers. No. So uh, they've got the next scene is lawyer played by the great Saul Rubinek has this mm, this scene where he's trying to put distance between Bud and Gordon, basically <laughs> to get Gordon off. And why? What is brilliant about this scene is he's explaining what he's doing to Bud and we're listening but then we get distracted by Gordon talking to his kid yeah. and they literally turn the sound down on what the lawyer's saying. Yeah, it's, they do, it's yeah. like this brilliant misdirection yeah. that the lawyer's doing and it's actually done to us, the audience. Yeah. I think it's a really good bit of clever bit of filmmaking. Because you're distracted because you can't believe he's got a child. No, exactly. No, you're watching this sort of monster, yeah, this large with with character talking to son. a child yeah. and uh, that child's dead. In the universe. In the universe, yeah. yes. <laughs> why would you do why would you do a joke about I that? didn't do it. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. He a died little, in this universe. It was a little quiz though. You were like, that child's dead. Anyone gonna take the bait? <laughs> well, Chris, that's a horrible thing to say. Ah, <laughs> oh, in this universe is what I meant. But yeah, so being Gordon Gecko's kid is not a good thing. Right. How does he die? I can't well, you've seen it more recently than me. <laughs> Have I, I? Drug overdose or suicide. But oh, okay. I think it's I think the 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 idea is that... The money killed him. Yeah. I mean, before they turn the sound down, though, the lawyer is saying to Bud, he's like, this is so that you take the fall yeah. and this... And Bud's like, all right. He wouldn't care anyway. You wouldn't. You don't care, do you? Mm. So Gecko's clearly winning the battle of the dads at the moment. That's because Carl hasn't really entered the fray. And um, There's an interesting, like, visual, stylistic choice here where... When Charlie leaves, um, when Bud leaves his dad, Carl, and he's like, everything's fine, everything's fine, and we know it's not, there's a flash of white on the screen. The screen flashes to white, and then when he sees Gordon next, and he's like, "He's like, this is going to be a piece of cake, Gordon, I got this, flashes white again. So they do, they do a similar, they've got to dark as well. So mm. There's a counterpoint to it. I found it annoying, to be honest. I just wondered, is it sort of... It's just so blatant, like, this is the light side and this is the dark right. side. Like, I didn't notice that because I thought it was both white. So I thought they were just basically going, it's like, we're trying to add this sort of biblical level to okay. the conflict between these two men. Like, yeah. actually, it is for the soul of Bud. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So, uh, the things are going well for Bud. He's got a bigger office at work and a significantly more attractive private secretary. That's a quote from the movie, just to be clear. Uh, he's got a killer apartment that Darian is about to ruin. Genuinely, what she does to that apartment is possibly the most upsetting thing in this movie. It is bad. Would I it... don't care that it's the 80s, Chris. It's horrific. But would it have been tasteful in the 80s? No, I don't think it would have ever been tasteful. It's turquoise. She actually says at the earlier party, oh, you go, you, you live you live in there. Oh, uh, you know, oh, but, uh, you know, what's it called? Exposed brick. Exposed brick. She's yeah. like having a go at exposed brick and then puts up wallpaper of exposed okay. brick. Did you ever yeah. wear a shell suit in the 80s? No, never. Okay. Did you? A lot of us did. A no. lot of us did right. and would not do that again. It was a different time gold and silver leaf on the walls uh i just uh, great use of talking heads in that scene though we get oh, the montage yeah. of the, the the pasta machine the sushi machine oh i see what heads. you mean yeah that's good no what no i'm just saying it's a good use of the song yeah i know that is i'm thinking about it. i didn't okay. know it's the song i'm not a massive talking heads fan okay but yeah it's good the sushi machine hagen dars in the microwave mm, i mean basically no that's not how you. That's you just. You just have to be patient if you want your ice cream to melt. You can't heat it. If you heat it, it messes it. You don't want. You don't want it hot. I agree with you. It's worse it's, than that. If you try and, I think it's quite clever actually because this whole scene is about excess. It's like sushi and spaghetti together, just excess, yeah, ugly yeah. excess. Putting uh, 
Hagen Dust in the microwave, there's two of them. You're never going to get through the whole you tub. Throw it away. And you can't, yeah, you can't yeah. refreeze it. So again, it's excess. It's like, we're going to throw this away. It's quite good. Yeah. And it, and, I don't know, maybe not the Hagen Dust, but I like the scene where they've made all the sushi and they've made spaghetti and they've made whatever they want. And he, Bud says, and this is Charlie Sheen being brilliant, let's not eat it. Let's just look at it. And it's like, that's because that's when the era when food was ruined, because <laughs> it wasn't really for when you had a lot of money. It wasn't for nourishment. It was just to look nice on a plate and no one was going to eat it because everyone was taking too much coal <laughs> to eat anything. I like that. I was eating a Linda McCartney's quarter pounder from the freezer. That's all you ever fucking ate when I was watching this. I felt like I felt like I wasn't living my life to the fullest. To be perfectly honest, I was quite disappointed with me. Can you make actual food? Yeah. Can you? Of course. I can. What's your signature he goes, dish? He goes on about how good a cookie is. Does he? Yeah. Right. Fine. We're not going to the pub after this. We're going back to mine. I'm going to cook you some food. What would you make me? I'd probably make you a delicious pasta dish. Okay. Or a Linda McCartney burger. burger. Do you not want a Linda McCartney's burger? <laughs> I, I did kind of do. They're really yeah. good. <laughs> They're not as good as Beyond Burgers, if I'm honest. Sorry, okay. Linda McCartney's you know fan base team. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. Not their fan base. <laughs> <Paul>. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. But you need to hear it from Ooh, Alex. Yeah, that, that reminds me of a bad thing I, I did once. And um, I had him on the on my old radio show. Yeah, and I was interviewing Paul McCartney. He was on the phone, and I thought, anyway, anyway, he. I was, oh no, where's this going? It was about going? Christmas. We were talking about Christmas. Christmas was coming up, and uh, he was like, I was like, so what do you have for? For Christmas, he was, and he was like, "Oh, we have a we have a nut roast. We have a nut roast on the on the table on Christmas Day. You know, you're welcome to come round." And I went, "Nut roast? No, thanks, Paul. He didn't like that." Oh no, that's fine. Oh. That's funny. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, Bud himself now, there's cracks starting to appear. He's not liking this new Bud, and we can tell from when he stands on his balcony, draped in a sheet, looking mm. out of New York, and actually says. Who am I? He does, yeah. It's been ruined for me by the Zoolander moment where he looks in the puddle and goes, Who am I? But he's just, he's had quite a nice night. Like, he's made his sushi and he's just... It he's feels too early, doesn't it? And, yeah, what what's wrong with you, bud? Why would you be so dislocated from who you thought you were that you don't know who you are? Yeah, not just regular sex, 80s sex. 80s sex, where he rears up. Mm, but like, it's in silhouettes, always yeah, in the 80s. You, gotta have, you <laughs> yeah. have to have it in silhouettes. He does, like, what, like, like a plank. What? Like a yoga move. It just lies there. <laughs> no, it's not a plank, is it? I don't do yoga, but the one where you put your arms in and you arch your back, that's what he does. Okay. And it looks like he's having the most fun, but it, I don't know if it, that's ever happened to anyone. You should try that in the car, Chris. I'm going to knock the gear stick. I want to knock the gear stick. I want to be out do of gear. Do a plank. I'm doing <laughs> enough. It's a Robin Reliant. There's no space. We're going to be doing 70. You've just put us in reverse. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Apparently, uh, this is the scene now where Stone's uh, way of dealing with Michael Douglas, it, it, it gets to Michael. So earlier on, Michael, uh, after I think they'd shot two scenes in this movie, one of which being the limo conversation with him and Bud, uh, Oliver Stone goes to Michael in his trailer and he, he goes, so uh, everything okay? Michael Douglas is like, yeah. And he goes, are you on drugs? Michael Douglas goes, no. And Oliver Stone goes, well, I mean, basically, I, I, I think you need to take a look at the dailies. And Michael Douglas is like, I don't normally look at the dailies because it makes me insecure. And Oliver Stone goes, you should look at them. And so Oliver Stone, um, they go, Michael Douglas goes to watch it. And Oliver Stone goes, because it looks like you've never acted before. Oof. So he watches them. And Michael Douglas says he's really critical of himself. But he watches them and he thinks, actually, this is good. <laughs> this is good. And he goes back and tells Oliver, no, I, th I think this is good. And Oliver Stone goes, 
okay. <laughs> and just walks out. And Michael Douglas says, this is the way Oliver Stone directs. He basically wants to get you to go that extra mile in your performance by making you insecure about your ability so you give more and more <laughs> but in the greed is good scene where Michael Douglas is giving it his all he looks over and Oliver Stone isn't watching his performance at all he's reading the script and making sure Michael Douglas says every single word exactly as he's written it mm. and Michael just goes ah, I had it that moment. that moment I went over and was like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> <laughs> but this greed is good scene is very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. Because um, it makes a lot of sense what you say. It does. But that's the sort of, yeah, but this is the problem. So that's, what the, that's what the good writing is, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it's, it's so good. Because he's meant to be a baddie, but you're like, oh, yeah, okay, yes, I get it. And you'd want this guy to take over your company. Yeah, you, you would. You would see potential there. Obviously, we learn that he's lying, essentially. Yeah. But, but you don't learn that till later. So no. in, the, in, the, in this moment, yeah. you're mm. like... And it's good to tap into that. The stuff he says about the the board and what they're paying themselves. You're like, Jesus. I'm not a destroyer of companies. I'm a liberator. And everything taken out of context, you know, you don't know how big this company is. So maybe 13 execs on 200k a year is actually appropriate and it's actually fine and is in the best interest of the company. You don't know that, but you just believe him and that he makes that bridge from... Old timey capital. I don't. I don't really believe in good and bad. Just just capitalism, and some people are better at it than others. Wait, but I think it's a bit. This is not the film's fault, but it's a bit narrow to be like Wall Street is what was wrong with the eighties. It was the. It's not Wall Street though. It's individuals. It, it boils down to like yeah, like Street, so many systems. Like capitalism, it, it it can be used badly. There is yes. bad capitalism and good capitalism. Fundamentally, the idea of capitalism isn't bad, but it can be misused by people. Yes, and that makes they, they are then bad capitalists. Yeah, but the. The framework within which Wall Street was operating at the time is what made Wall Street possible. It was an unregulated free market economy. It was neoliberalism at its ascendancy. Mm. So there should have been rules and regulations that prevented people from acting in that mm. way, and there wasn't. So that it's it's all part of the mix, and it's all part of our history, and, and it carries on. And that's because all because you don't trust people enough. That the problem is me. That, well, the, the, <laughs> I guess people. I think if you think there should have been rules and regulations in place, yeah. Because people, you know, abuse we'll it. Yeah. But, you know, the idea should be that people don't abuse it. The idea is that you should be such a good person that you're interested in the country and the economy you work in yes. to be building well, that was the a idea, better world. It? But that it's the, the same about it's the same with any any sort of uh, political ideology. Like yeah. it's it's individuals, corrupt individuals that ruin it for everyone else. Yeah. It just was allowed to go on for quite a long time. And I think that, you know, Jordan Belfort was operating in the 90s. This is 1987. He was allowed to operate with the same sort of mm. glaring lack of regulation that Mike, that Gordon Gecko was. And nothing was sorted in that time. Which is when it sort of ascends beyond that. And it's like, yeah. well, how is the government of this country not stepping in? Yeah. Even after the financial crisis, when they were uh, like, yeah. let's the, put more regulations the, in the place. Gov- and the, they just didn't. Yeah. The government does step in, but it's to bail everyone out. Mm. Yeah. Insane. Insane. And yet here we are just talking about it. We're not on the streets with flaming torches. No, because I like I, there are bits of capitalism that I like, you know, like not having to make my own shoes and all of that, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you made, you made your own mask during COVID. <laughs> I mean, the one thing there were lots of were options, both expensive and cheap for masks. And you were like, 
I'm going to turn these curtains into a mask. Right, hey, mind you, I thought the whole thing would fucking blow over, right? So I was like, I'm not spending £6 on a mask. This will be done in a week. So I was coming back from yours once and I was on the tube and I was so drunk and I was leaning against my... And I just had like an old... Yeah, like an old bit of curtain Mm. just tied round my drunk face. And everyone was looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, but I haven't spent £6. Mm. So good for me. This really does embarrass you. You've gone. You've gone. You've got your redness. I know. <laughs> Why are you so embarrassed? I thought it was really thrifty of you. I was yeah. impressed. No, it's tight. It's, it's ridiculous. I got two masks for fifty p in Primark the other day. What were you doing in a Primark? Uh, shopping. Really? Hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> Meeting people. Yeah. Research. Hi, girls. <laughs> oh no, you look lovely in that. <laughs> Do you work here? I'll tell you what, I'll get it for you. Is that, how it work? Is that how it works in a Primark? <laughs> it's just. It's is it a brothel? <laughs> <laughs> Do, you, Do you work here? No, I don't. I don't. I'm just saying you look lovely. Do you drive? <laughs> Come on, can we get to the end of this film, please? Yeah, all right then, fine. Let's get to the end of this film. Uh, so. It's time to put Carl and Gecko in a room together. It's time for the big face-off. And I've got one question, because I can't decide if it if it's just a silly moment, which I don't believe it can be. It's a, I know what you're going to say. I don't get it. The plate through the table. Yeah. When Gordon goes to put the plate oh, yeah. on the coffee table because he thinks it's glass mm. and it goes straight through don't and lands it. on the floor. All I can think, and I had to write it down because it doesn't quite make sense, is it a comment on all this money and excess creates nothing of use, which is this table and which is Gordon, versus the functional work that Carl does, which actually creates useful things that work like potentially a functioning table? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Maybe it just doesn't make sense for Gordon to do it. Really, I don't think. I know, I know what you're saying there, but for Gordon to look stupid, I but think it's not it the time. So we the... know that Mark, that Carl is a stand-up guy already, and he's so he's walk. You want the scene, so you don't want to predict which way it's going to go. So if Carl's a stand-up guy already. No, but we love Gordon. So do we need to bring Gordon down a peg? I don't know. I don't I, think we do need to put Gordon down. And Carl is, maybe you don't want to make it obvious, but Carl is the person who would do that because Carl's not used to being in a room but like this, yeah, a table like this. That's the thing. That's yeah. the interesting thing because I think we've established, if not now, then very soon, we established that Gordon came from nothing. He's not old money. Yeah. He's new money. He's like, you know, he's, he's kind of from Carl's background himself. He just chose this route. Yeah. So is it that, this is the designer table, but for all his guff and bluffing about, you know, I know this, I know art, I know designers, he doesn't recognise that that table yeah. doesn't have glass on it. He thinks it's just a table yeah. because he's faking it. Yeah. I think it must be that. It's just, a, it's a very, I think it's a very strange moment. It and it, thro- it throws me off. So it's so good watching Douglas and Sheen. Go at it in this scene. Bud trusts Gecko. Carl does not and lets him know. It's an embarrassing moment for Bud. But Carl was right. As Bud ends up in a meeting he wasn't expecting to be in, which is a weak moment Mm. in this. He just by chance gets invited into this meeting and that's how he discovers what Gecko is doing. Because in that scene, he even says to Spader, I'm the invisible man. Well, why are you visiting him in his bloody office then? Because that's the opposite of being invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's very convenient. And that's and the it's problem. too much of a coincidence. Yeah. 100% agree. Yeah. He confronts Gordon. Uh, how much is enough? Uh, which is the theme in both films, obviously. Uh, Gordon does ask Bud if he's still with him. And Bud says, yes, I am. But he can't deal. 
he can't deal with who he is. No. He can't deal with the fact that he's in bed with Gordon. So he starts swigging tequila. Mm. Now, we love a tequila. Yeah. That is bold. <laughs> I've not done yeah. it from a bottle. Even me. <laughs> Even me. I've never gone, I'll just take it from the bottle. Yep. Tequila and pizza. Mm. That's what's so funny about this. It is. I wish that Daryl Hannah had had more of a fun time because it could have been such a funnier moment where she's mm. like, have you just eaten carbohydrate? Are you okay? <laughs> you must be such a fucking mess right now. I'm just going to leave you. <laughs> it's so cool because she doesn't care about the tequila because no. it's that sort of drink swinging tequila from the bottle that's excess yeah. you ordered takeaway pizza <laughs> what have you done You're, who are you who are you who are you so yeah uh, but that's the pizza that horrifies Darian uh, <laughs> and she says which is quite cool uh, she goes we were, uh, were so close she says we're so close which I, again it, I, I think is connected to the line we've just heard how much is enough that Bud says to Gordon, because it's this idea that we're so close, she's aiming for something that is obviously unachievable because she'll always feel like we're so close to making X amount of money and she never will be. Yeah. I like that. Um, She tells him he might find out it's worse to have had money and lost it than never have money at all. Mm. Can't decide if I agree. That's what makes it an interesting comment, Mm. I think, because it does make you think whether it's right or wrong. But she she leaves him. She throws a lot in with Gecko. Uh, although she does say, "You might not believe this, Bud, but I really do care for you." I know our utter lack of chemistry throughout this film would suggest otherwise, <laughs> but it's true. But even at this moment, mm-hmm. I can't say the L word, which would really help seal the deal a bit. I care for you. Yes, I do. I care for you. Careful your money. <laughs> Anyway, for Save the Cat fans, that's your all is lost moment. Uh, basically, I just reread that book, which is why it's all like, oh, that's interesting. That it really fits the structure. Uh, so, yeah, it's the all is lost moment. And then we get the whiff of death because, again, if you're a Save the Cat fan, you'll know the whiff of death. Uh, Carl has a stroke. Bud rushes to the hospital for his dark night of the soul. He wallows in his misery, but he tells his dad that he loves him. It's a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. What did I say? Oh, stroke. Yeah. No, I just think it's interesting. I think it's important because, as I said earlier, Martin Sheen did have a heart attack when he was just 36 on the set of Apocalypse Now, and he's had heart attacks since this. So that that's a big moment, I think, for father and son for yeah. them to be playing out on screen. Which is why you'd expect Charlie Sheen to be better in it. <laughs> this is one of my uh, bad Sheen moments. Yeah. Bad, sorry, bad Charlie Sheen moments. Because, God damn it, he says a lot in this scene and through like <laughs> the tears, and you're like... Just your actual dad. Literal <laughs> your actual dad who had an actual heart attack. And Char- Martin Jean says five words, which is like, I'm, you know, son, I'm proud of you. And you're like, oh, there's the emotion. Yeah. Crazy. You think it would be easy to direct. So, Charlie Martin, I want you to think about when this actually <laughs> happened and just just go, go from there. <laughs> So we're into Act 3. The student is going up against the master. Lou of Doom has more words of wisdom. The main thing about money, bud, is it makes you do things you didn't want to do. Uh, Anyway, through trading, bud beats Gecko. Yeah, fair enough. And I believe it's the repetition of the tactics, which is called green mailing, that they used on Wild Man, Terrence Stamp. Which is, if it's a repetition in this film, is normally you, I, you know what I'm like, like we can't have that. But it's good because it didn't make sense the first time around, so you just get another goal at understanding <laughs> yeah. what's actually happened. Agreed. I still didn't. Still didn't. Uh, but in a twist, uh, Lou of Doom says something nice to Bud, um, which you're a bit confused about at the time. He says, which is lovely writing, man looks into the abyss, there's nothing staring back at him. At that moment, man finds his character, and that is what keeps him 
out of the abyss. I love it. I thought he'd pulled it from somewhere, but it's that's all Oliver Just, Stone. Oh, okay. I mean, it's it's a bit like it sounds a bit like the Nietzsche quote: "Battle not with monsters, lest ye become a monster." And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. And Stanley Weiser, let's give him some credit. Yes, sorry, that's correct. The script. Yes, yep. he did. He did, and that might be him. That might be all him. Although Oliver Stone does say in the interview <laughs> I watched, he's like, "Yeah, I can't believe that." Uh, can't believe that it only got nominated for Michael. That script was great. Very witty lines in the script. So, Bud wears a wire. Uh, it's good the way this is written uh, by probably Stanley Weiser. Because um, <laughs> Bud doesn't ask Gordon. He doesn't do it himself. He doesn't uh, entrap the man who taught him, got him to where he was and everything. Gordon, in his arrogance, just goes, I did this with this person. I did that with that person. All his illegal dealings, he just blurts them out, which I thought was quite good. I didn't like it. It makes really? it seem it's so stupid. Yeah, I don't buy it. No, I don't even buy- when he says to Bud earlier, are you with me? And he's like, yeah, you'd be like, if you're Gordon Gecko, you are seven steps ahead of everyone. You run the scenarios. You'd be mm. like, well, he's obviously just lied, so be careful. Or meet me in the park. <laughs> like, yeah. Obviously, you're wearing a wire. I didn't... I, I thought he might need a bit more of a push to like prick his pride to get him to splurge all those things. Mm. Yeah, it's a very risky move. I but then it's yeah, but then you we can yeah. Bud, don't you? I guess at this point you want Bud to. It's a decent thing, even though Go- Gecko is evil. Yeah. By not actually making Gordon say that and him saying it on his own, I mean, I guess he's wearing a wire, but like you know. Jordan wears a wire and, you know, doesn't actually come through on it in Wolf. So in this, it's kind of nice that he doesn't pry it out of Gordon. Yeah. I don't care either way. I just think it's, I'm a bit gutted that Gordon, I don't believe Gordon would do that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, So uh, Bud's off to jail. Carl says, that's the price, son. Bye. (laughs) It's the best thing that could have happened to you. (laughs) See you in 12 years. It's quite weird what the last line of the film is. Yeah, yeah. it says, we'll park the car and catch up with you. (laughs) (laughs) Straight last line. And we're out. (laughs) I was surprised when it ended. I was kind of a bit disappointed. I was like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen in court. You know, I love a courtroom drama. And then I'm like, oh, are we done? (laughs) Fine. So uh, Bud takes the fall and uh, presumably, uh, according to Stone, comes out of jail a better man. And that's your lot. Lovely. Great stuff. Shall we do the thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Best scene, Chris. Not really thought. <laughs> uh, I feel like Vicky was going to say this was a bad scene earlier, but I'm picking it. It's the scene in the corridor between Charlie Sheen and Michael Sheen after the meeting where they have the big heart to heart. I think it's the emotional heart of the film. Um, I think it's shot really well. It's sort of documentary style and it feels like we're eavesdropping, you know, in when he li- says... In the lift? Yeah. Oh, I hate that Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what I like about it as well is I feel like we're watching two people working out stuff in real life. He doesn't... He's like, you were never there for me, Dad. Oh, wah, wah. Grow the fuck up. He seems like a great dad. He just... It, I know I'm sure they've got their issues in real life, but... Carl Fox seems like a great dad for Bud. He lends him money all the time. He's his cheerleader. He loves him to bits. So when he's like, you were never there. It just needs just, setting up earlier. Yeah. yeah, and it isn't. It's... And I don't like those those arty angles that come out of nowhere. Sorry, that's I'm piling in. That's ridiculous. You really are. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. It's your favourite, and I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, move on then. Sorry, 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 sorry. What's your favourite fucking scene then? <laughs> Jesus. It's a greedy's good speech. Okay. I'm a bit wary of, of um, neoliberalism, even though it suits me as someone in the Western world. 
But when Gordon Gecko explains it, I was like, yes, yeah, great. It's a brilliant thing. <laughs> like, obviously, the market forces will correct themselves. Uh, so he had had me convinced. And bearing in mind, in terms of the plot, you're a, a, what's the company called? Like Teldar or Telstar or something? We don't know who they are. We don't care what happens to them. And yet it's such a pivotal moment for the film. Yeah, except Teldar. It sounds like a character from a, a 1980s fantasy. Mm. Teldar, retrieve the gems. <laughs> Teldar, have you defeated the warlock? Um, okay, I've got, we've all got different ones. Mine is, um, mine is either, I got two, uh, neither of which are yours. Carl uh, versus Gecko, Martin Sheen versus Michael Douglas when they go head to head in Bud's apartment. Or, and this is the bit where I think Sheen totally redeems himself from uh, his uh, slightly lackluster moments earlier, which is when he's walking out of the office and he starts crying. It's really oh, I good. wanted to talk to you about that. I like people expressing emotions and actors express and all of that. And the, honestly, there was a part of me started crying. I was like, oh, fuck you, don't cry. <laughs> How bad is that? That's awful. I, I know. <laughs> Why? But I was like, just don't cry. Don't let them Don't let them know that they've won kind I, of thing. I was like... trying to find evidence of this because, uh, you know, he was writing this while the insider trading stuff was getting exposed in the press, in the world. And so I'm wondering if this is based on one of these guys that Bud Fox is based on actually crying as they were let out of the office. And yeah. so it's put in the script for that reason because it is an unusual moment. And it was I just... a, such a visceral reaction for me that I was embarrassed for him which, so, yeah, which is really so bad me. It's you know it's that thing it's like do something unexpected in, yeah. a, in a scene you know and it, it's it's the fact it's that all his bravado I think you're supposed to feel embarrassed really? for him oh yeah, yeah okay. I think so I think yeah, so yeah because he walks in with all this bravado you remember when he walks in and passes the secretary and he yeah. says like, it's a great day or something he's like yeah. just no justice has prevailed or justice has been done mm. and he's full of himself because he's taken down Gordon and then you know five minutes less later he's uh, crying thought, his eyes oh, out in front of the same people he was like puffing his chest out in front of him. It's great. Okay, I felt guilty. So you didn't you didn't think that scene was good enough to mention while we went through the film? I was saving it for here. Brilliant. <laughs> Why? It's fine. Do you know what this section's called, Chris? It's called best scene. So best scene that we haven't mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't worthy of the general discussion. I'm gonna change the thoughts section to best scene we haven't mentioned from now. <laughs> On. <laughs> Who's your MVW or what is your MVW most valuable whatever, Victoria? Michael Douglas and or the character of Gordon Gecko. It's hard to choose between the two of them. I think Michael Douglas is brilliant. I can't believe that they didn't want him. That's crackers. Um, he's got the best lines. His speeches are good. He's believable. It's become shorthand, which is amazing. Think about how old it is. And just that moment for when um, when he's got a son you're as the audience, the fact that you can't believe he could be anywhere near a child and still function. You just when that child hoves into you, you're like, get it away! Like it can't be right. It's a brilliant way to add another layer of complexity to a character. Um I mean this thing about him being one of the greatest villains, I don't even really see him as a villain. He's more like the manifestation of a time, isn't he? But Yeah. Anyway, he's, he's brilliant. Pretty villainous that. though. Yeah, he does bad things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Chris? Yeah, I hate to go down the obvious route, but what Vicky said, Michael Douglas, for all the reasons Vicky said. Okay, well, I'll uh, be different then and go Martin Sheen, because uh, I think he's great. He is, he is good. Yeah. I think he's great. <laughs> Definitely uh, the second most valuable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, the final section of uh, the thoughts is, uh, Chris, a change that uh, you haven't mentioned previously on the show. <laughs> I mean... 
<laughs> is it good to call him Gordon Gecko, the character? I don't, know. <laughs> like, I don't feel like that's a choice any of us would make. Now, it's Oliver Stone, it's Wall Street, so it's fine. But I just can't believe that he called him Gordon Gecko and yeah. got away with it. It's just so on the nose <laughs> in a, such a bizarre way. So I don't know about that. I mean, obviously, I'd make the women a little less one dimensional. Mm-hmm. They could have a role to play in this story if we sure. wanted them to. Yeah. But uh, my, my, my change really is uh, much, much much more cocaine Oliver Stone is a man who was closely acquainted with that drug this was a time that was closely acquainted with that drug don't leave it out it's one brief moment where clearly you know that is driving these people in this movie and so yes I would I would um have more cocaine. They took all the cocaine out of this movie and put it in the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> no, sure, we will get to that. But um, yeah, that would be my change. What's yours, Victoria? So I said it before, but this is the reason why. So I don't like Charlie Sheen in this role. I think Bud, Bud is meant to represent He's the world between he's the bridge between the blue collar world represented by Martin Sheen and the white collar world represented by Gordon Gecko, and he just looks more at home in the white collar world. Um, but I think just John C. McGinley looks more correct for that role, where he looks like he could have worked at Blue Star and could have been, you know, a union man and whatever but actually he's making it work on Wall Street. So, however, if we've got Charlie Sheen, what we have to do is, like, scruff him up a bit, then we can have a makeover scene. So, <laughs> it's important. Michael Douglas says, get yourself a new suit, and you want to see Charlie Sheen, but check out my new suit. But he just always looks flawless, and it's not what I want. I want a makeover scene. They took the makeover scene from Wall Street and put it in Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> uh, well, mine is... Um... And this might, again, just be me, but I'd just like a little bit more hand-holding from the script to guide me into the world of trading at the start. Uh, I found it a bit impenetrable. You know, like Aaron Sorkin famously does in Moneyball or Social Network where he makes statistics or coding, just like really accessible. You're like, I totally get coding now. (laughs) I'd just like a little bit of that because I found it difficult or at least make fun of how impenetrable it is like Wolf of Wall Street does where you go cool I'm not meant to understand this so you're not constantly trying to grasp for information that you can't get so that's mine right then that is Wall Street done shall we do a quiz yeah let's do a quiz I've only got one question this week Alex and it's just for you uh what's coding then Coding, oh yeah, sure. Uh, coding is a uh, a series of ones and zeros when put together make the future. <laughs> I think that's right. Only joking. Right, we're talking about money this week, so I got hold of uh, both of your personal finances so we can guess how solvent you both are. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Only joking again. Uh, we're doing a quiz about currency. I'm going to give you the country. You've got to give me what the currency's oh. called. Okay. Oh, that's positive. (laughs) Is it multiple choice? No. Oh, okay. Russia. Ruble. Fuck. Correct. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Do you like the quiz now? (laughs) Great quiz. Uh, Vietnam. Oh, uh, it's another word for penis. Schlong. <laughs> Rhymes with a schlong. Wong. Donk. Correct. <laughs> Dong. Nearly. Wong, Wonga is another name for, for money. Uh, <laughs> Mark, show me your Wong. <laughs> Did you say Mac? Mac. 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 Get in the car. Uh, India. The rupee. Correct. Oh. She's on the comeback trail. Okay. Uh, South Africa. The round. Correct. Oh. Yes! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Norway. 
The Corona. Correct. Yes! Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And we uh, it's 3-2 to Vicky yeah. with one question left. Uh-huh. Alex, you need this I for do. the draw. I know. So, Vicky, yeah. what is... Look at her. <laughs> this is terrifying. I know, I know. What is the currency of Thailand? But... Oh! <laughs> he pulled it back. Well played. Oh, so no. I've been holding. No, don't look. I was getting because we've got the tiebreaker here. So I've been holding this tiebreaker question for a few weeks now, mm. from when we did Godzilla and we were talking about reptiles. Yeah. BBC Newsround declared a tortoise called Jonathan to be the oldest land reptile in the world in January, <coughs> but to the nearest year, how old is Johnny? Uh, Alex, you go first. Why do I go first? Because uh, I just asked you to. Okay. I mean, it gives Victoria an advantage because she can just go one up or one down on mine. But uh, I'm going to say he is 120 years old. 120. <sighs> Vicky, higher or lower? Oh, what, what number are you picking? <laughs> <laughs> you really want her to win. <laughs> You said 120. I did, yeah. So I think Jonathan is 119. I'm so disappointed. Oh, for God's sake! Uh, he's 190. Really? Yes. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. That's mental. Yeah. So I, I got confused with all the higher and lower stuff. Who, um, <laughs> who won? It was a draw, and then you won the tiebreaker. Yes! <laughs> but I'm, I'm off to Thailand this after this. This is the thing. He got the currencies from places he's been, whereas I got the currencies from places I haven't been. That is a fact. So now it's down to how we it's know this. Yeah, it's just check your privilege, you do, you Alex. Think I, when he went to watch Speed 2 on the fucking Call Sam Road or whatever, and he just <laughs> he went around Southeast Asia. You mean when I was on a scholarship from Leeds City Council to go and build... Old huts in Thailand. Yeah, my privilege. Yeah. <laughs> and when did you go to Russia? <laughs> Don't know. I've been to Russia, so that's not fair. Well, for God's sake. <laughs> but I haven't been to... No, I've been to Norway, so that's a lie. Unbelievable. <laughs> so full of it. Unbelievable. Sorry, Sorry I'm just upset. <sighs> that's all. Kenya, <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's all right, I'm going to pull it back now because something brilliant's about to happen. Go on, carry on. Okay. <clears throat> so... Next week, Clash Butters in Control continues with another listener pairing. V, you have the clue? Oh, no. There we go. <laughs> no, I know. Bowl it, Mushy. Bowl it. This isn't always my strongest uh, suit. Where is but... the quiz? <laughs> I'm very good at the quiz. Where is... So are you ready? This is, this is a good one. Mm. You're going to be pleased. Are you ready? Here we go. Here's the, cl- here's the clue. For next week's <laughs> <laughs> uh, We just passed the one hour 20 mark. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Here we go. Does X mark the spot? I haven't a clue for it. <laughs> what? what? How good is that? Does X mark the spot? I haven't a clue for it. <laughs> See, I don't know. She, she, she does all right. And then she adds something onto it that always Why? ruins it. What? Just say, just X mark the spot. It's boring. I haven't a clue for her. Excellent. It's really good. It's great. Thank you. No, well it's, done. Well done. It's great. It's. What? 
they're, they're getting easier. Do you think so? <laughs> what? Yeah, it's difficult. For me, my like benchmark for success is how funny I personally find it. <laughs> Not if it's right, useful right, right, right. in that, well, then, In that case, success. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Right, in the meantime, that's your clue. There'll be another one on Twitter. Please subscribe, rate, and indeed review us if you have the time. It's a great help. And check us out on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. We are back on Thursday talking the wolf of Wall Street. Bye-bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.